Uh, well, good morning. Uh, good to see you all. And uh, let's, uh, let's get rid of this. I'm fully affected. So, uh, why don't you just say hello to the people around you whilst I just sort myself out? Be friendly. Okay, very good. You've been friendly enough for one day. So, uh, let's crack on. Uh, wasn't that good to just worship this morning? It was a great time to worship this morning. Just to hear people bringing words and sharing scriptures as well. It's just great to be at that, his church, his body together. Um, and hopefully you see that if you are uh, a visitor here this morning, hopefully you will see that we are kind of, we're just real. Really, this is us. We, we just want to be open and say, God, uh, we, we're not perfect, but he comes and speaks to us and uses us. And um, it's not just about the people at the front. It's about all of us together. Um, and if you are a visitor, I do want to say you are really, really welcome. Uh, my name is Ian. I'm one of the elders. I lead the eldership team here. And I would love to chat to you afterwards. Stick around. There's going to be tea and coffee and potentially biscuits and stuff. Um, save me one. Um, I have three children and one wife, which is the right way round to have that, just in case you're wondering. Um, we were called by God to Seven Oaks six years ago. We were living in Bury St Edmunds in Suffolk. Uh, we, I actually got saved here in this church 20 years ago. We moved to Bury to be part of the church up there. And then God called us back to be part of God's bride, to be part of the church in Seven Oaks. And it's to be part of something bigger than our own life. That's what it's about. You are called as a Christian to be part of something bigger than what's going on in your own life. We came to see people come to Jesus, to know God, to see God's kingdom come in this area and beyond. Um, and I don't know about you, but spending time with God's people does us good. Hopefully you uh, find that too. And if you're like me, you read the stories in the early church in the book of Acts. They're sharing all they had, sharing life together. It says in Acts 2.44 that they had all things in common. Um, they were breaking bread in each other's homes and I don't know about you, but I long for church community like that. To be like that. It was so good to be together on Wednesday night, wasn't it, for those of you who are there. There was about 70 or so people here. That's my conservative estimate. I've been told not to keep rounding up to hundreds, um, so I won't do that. Um, but it was good to be together. The discipleship tractor is not too late to sign up. And we come together, um, we ate dessert together, chatted with one another. There were people that talked to people that they hadn't spoken to before in church and getting to know one another. Um, and just and also, then we went into our groups and had a good time there as well. They were good. Hopefully you enjoyed your groups. Uh, I think my group was probably the best one, but it's not a competition. <laughs> but it's all part of us seeking to know God better. The eldership team and I, we really felt led into this, that this can be part of us building towards a community of unity this year. We also really feel that the church weekend will be a real blessing. So I want to encourage you, as, as we go into this time, we want to grow as a church together in, and grow in our love for one another and for God. So if you haven't signed up yet, I really want to encourage you. We really pray about how to make it more accessible. We listen to feedback and we try to, as Gabriella said, adjust the price now. So it's £100 for all adults and kids go free. So it's, hopefully it's really accessible. And it doesn't stop there. You can make that payment in four parts as well. So, and if you're still struggling, we really want you to be there. Come and speak to me. Come and speak to one of the elders. And we want to be able to help you out because this is really important time for the church to be together. Um, 
I would encourage you to be there for the whole thing. It might mean you taking Friday afternoon off work. Or even the whole day so you can be there for the dinner in the Friday evening. But this is really worth it. This is the church. This is what we encourage people to invest their life in. This is the one thing that is going to remain. That This is what Jesus is returning for. His bride. So, it's beautiful church. So let's try and establish some of what the early church had. Prioritise this. It's worth it. And I don't just talk from... You know, being the, the pastor of the church who wants to come, and it's easy for me to say, no, I used to do this. You know, I was self-employed for many years, and I would take days off. I literally wouldn't get paid, and I would come to church weekends away, conferences, leadership days, whatever. It's really important. Prioritise this. And another reason I love being part of God's church is because I get to hear stories of some of what we've heard today, and, and the story that we heard last week. Who was here last week? Do you remember the story of Dale? Dale was from the Oxted Church. He came and spoke on the Holy Spirit. And he was telling the story of the guy that was getting baptised in their church today, in that day. And this guy was going to end his life. He was on a bridge in Seven Oaks. And he was going to throw himself off. Life had just become too much. And somebody stopped and spoke to him and told him about the love of God. And I invited him back to his house. And they chatted and they kind of ended up parting their ways. The guy didn't kill himself. He eventually ended up speaking to a guy from Dale's church. He did Alpha, got saved and was baptised. And Dale was saying, they were telling this story. Was anyone here? I don't suppose that was anyone here. And it was Andre. And Andre puts his hand up. And Andre, I think with the rest of us, we all became very emotional. Wow, he didn't know the rest of the story. But we get to be a part of that. I love to be part of God's family. This is what he does. I just thought, oh, that is so God, isn't it? That was so God last week. So listen, and that was just Andre, by the way, just listening to a prompting of God. And you don't always hear the end of the story. I mean, I spoke to Andre later that day and said, well, you'll be living off the good of that for some time to come. But we don't always get to hear that, do we? But you just don't know. What will happen when you listen to the promptings of God? Anyway, we're going to continue today in our Ephesians series this morning. This book of Ephesians is the most gospel-packed. It is condensed with spiritual goodness. It's like an espresso of spiritual goodness, the book of Ephesians. It's all packed in there, isn't it? And what we're looking at today is the most intense, the most grace-packed sentence It's going to show us the difference between Christianity and all other religions and all other belief systems. You might be new here today and you might be thinking, well, you know, most religions are the same, kind of all roads lead to God kind of thing. They all involve a God who wants you to live a particular way and then you'll get to heaven, right? But it's important to think about these things seriously. Let's engage our brain because Buddhists, they don't believe in a personal God. Hindus don't believe you'll get to heaven when you die. And neither do pagans. And Christians don't believe you go to heaven because of the way you have behaved. We believe salvation, eternal life, comes because of not the way you've lived your life, but because of the way somebody else has lived their life. And that person is Jesus Christ. 
that is the foundational difference between Christianity and all other religions. It's all about Jesus. And if you were to get like loads of faith leaders or thinkers in and they're talking about what would be the differences between religions, this, these verses that we're looking at really help us. It's grace. The grace of God is what is different. And we're in a new chapter today, hallelujah. We've been in chapter one for a little while. Hallelujah. <laughs> it was a good chapter though, to be fair. But this grace that we're looking at today separates us from everything else. The unmerited, transforming favour of God. This God has been good to us when we don't deserve it. Not because I've lived a worthwhile life, because I haven't. Because I needed a rescuer and he has come. And his name is Jesus. And we looked in Ephesians 1 of how we have been given already every spiritual blessing. Do you remember that? That we can know him, know his hope and know his power. Remember Adam talking about the power of God a few weeks ago? It was alright, wasn't it? It was quite good. But you should listen to it again. And we're going to look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10 this morning. And as we do that, we see three things here. What we've, been, what we've been saved from, what we're saved through, and what we're saved for. So let's read the new chapter of Ephesians. Praise God. And you, that's all of us, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now the reality we see when we look at these verses, man is dead without God. The depths of pessimism about man, but the heights of optimism about God. We see despair, and faith. What man is by nature and what he can become by grace. We are trophies of his grace. So I think when Faye is sharing her uh, stuff this morning, I think oh, she is a trophy of his grace. Yes. So what are, we, what are we saved from? Well firstly we are lost. And three ways in which we are lost is in the ways of the world, this is what the, the, these verses are telling us, the influence of Satan, 
the devil, and the wickedness of our nature, the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So trespasses and sins, active and passive, trespass is to cross a boundary. Sin is falling short of God's holiness. I, I was lost. I was so lost in the ways of the world. I did what I thought everyone else was doing. I was under the influence of the devil. My, my flesh was my God. Whatever I desired to do, I, I tried to do. But God broke into my dead corpse-like existence and broke in. And actually, one day I was speaking last week, I had this kind of flashback. He said something about remembering when you first came to Christ or when you were first filled with the Spirit. And I had this flashback and I, would, I remember sitting in this room and the stage used to be along the back wall there. And the chairs were this way, facing there. And I was sitting probably around here somewhere. The walls were yellow. Who remembers the yellow walls? I think they were yellow. There was a lot of yellow. <laughs> but I like yellow. That's fine. And I was sitting there, and I remember um, that the, the preacher, he was preaching, and he was explaining the gospel, and I felt like he was just talking to me every week. I mean, I think he was, to be honest, a lot of the time. Norman Blows was preaching the gospel, and I, I remember that I had a revelation of Christ. I've said this before. I was going on Alpha, and I gave my life to Jesus, just sitting on the edge of my bed one one evening, and the spirit started started to move on me, and as Norman was explaining the gospel, I was crying every week. And funnily enough, I remember talking to my friend Simon about it, and he was concerned about me. Like, why are you crying all the time? Because I think I just realised I was blown away by his grace. What he had done, I didn't deserve it. I'd been so far from him that he had plucked me from obscurity. I was violent. I was selling drugs and doing drugs and getting drunk most days. I did nothing to deserve it. And God got my attention. And this one day, this lady, this girl walked past me. It's like, oh, I like her. <laughs> You'd be pleased to know that it was my wife. <laughs> he got my attention by this beautiful woman that walked past me. And it turned out to be so much more than I had imagined it would be. I remember she brought me, uh, we, we started, we, I think we'd been out on a couple of dates, and she then wanted to tell me that she was a Christian, and there was going to be no fun business. <laughs> yes, Gemma. <laughs> and she took me out of the pub of my place of worship, <laughs> and she took me, and she stood in front where she stood with her back to this church and I was facing her and the church behind her. And she was, by the way, which was completely lost on me. I just thought, why is she taking me down to this field? <laughs> when I know there's not going to be funny business. <laughs> and she was telling me because it was symbolic of, she was saying, this is where her life was. This is what was important. This is what really mattered. And I had a revelation, and I needed a revelation of God, the move of the Holy Spirit, to change my heart. He saw how I was evil, and I needed to repent of my sin. But God works in all sorts of different ways to grab our attention. It could be 
that way. That doesn't actually happen that often, by the way. I would not encourage you to, to date someone who is outside of Christ. But God spoke to her. It could be stopping on a bridge and talking to someone. God uses all sorts of ways. But we need a revelation of God. And I repented. I was dead in sin. I was enslaved to the world. This is what it tells us. I was enslaved. And enslaved kind of means to follow. It's, who are we following? It says the course of the world and the prince of the power of the air. We are enslaved by the spirit of the age. Our sinful nature, our flesh, and it's not necessarily the physical body, but sometimes it can be just our self-centeredness. The human nature is self-centered, and it drives us and controls us. It even says in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, don't let that person become conceited that they would fall under the same judgment as the devil. See, pride and conceit and self-centeredness, that's what the devil came from. That's what made him. And according to the Bible, the reason, part of the reason we're dead in our trespasses and sins is that the human heart is self-centered. It is selfish. Martin Luther said that human nature is curved in upon itself. We are inward. And there is a self-centeredness about us all. There's this desperation to feel good about ourselves. And it leads to pride, or it leads to works. And the human heart is so wicked that it, it seeks to use all things, including God, for itself, for its own sake. Everything is focused on self-serving. Even good works, helping others can be self-centered, so we feel good about ourselves. But we feel worthy, or we make a name for ourselves. How do, how do we even know? Church attending, prayer meetings, listening to sermons, taking notes. It's good to take notes, by the way, sometimes. <laughs> Depends on who. No, it's always good to take notes. You could be doing that for your own needs. How do we know, though? How do we know if we are in it for ourselves? Because as soon as prayer isn't answered or life gets tough, we ask God, why? I've done all these things. Why aren't you coming through? Because it was all for you. And we can sometimes not be in this, not be in Christianity to serve and please God, we want it the other way around. And our Christian practice was all conditional. We could be a slave to our own ego, easily offended, but we're safe from that. To be selfless in serving others. And we either follow in the world's ways or God's. Why are sometimes my kids disobedient? They're pretty good kids, by the way. Because they're sons of disobedience. By nature, we were all. Um, by the way, this is just a side note, a little footnote here. We should not shy away from trying to teach our children obedience. That's a biblical thing. Children, obey your parents. It's not a very fashionable word these days. And just a little challenge here, really, for fathers. Do not let your children speak to your wife in a rude way. Do not tolerate it. I will not let that happen in my home. I, I rebuke my kids when they're rude to my wife. It's when they start rebuking me when I'm rude to her, that's when we're in trouble. <laughs> 
<laughs> but sin shows itself from an early age, and it doesn't matter what background you're from. You might have grown up in a Christian home or not. This verse does not discriminate. It says all. You were all children of wrath. We all needed a saviour. You need to repent from your sins, no matter what your background, and receive this grace that is on offer. We need grace to abound. This scripture is what it is to be saved. We were dead, and we needed a saviour to bring us to life. And you might think, well, basically, I'm a good person. But this offensive gospel tells us that we were so wicked that only the death of the Son of God, fully man, fully God, could save us. This is offensive to popular culture of self-expression or this wrong belief of the innate goodness of humanity. The gospel tells us that trying to be good or spiritual isn't enough and no good person will be saved. But only those who come through Jesus Christ. That's what we're saved from. We need God to break in. We need God to break in and reveal himself to people. We, we, we can talk about church being more relevant. We don't need church to be more relevant. We, we, we can talk about you know, making the chairs more comfortable or making the music faster and louder. Do you know what? The state of man is so bad, they're so dead, mankind won't even notice. The Bible doesn't teach us God helps those who help themselves. No, it teaches that God helps the helpless. And Paul emphasises this. This is the exact opposite. He helps his enemies who have transgressed his holy law. So to follow is to be mastered, enslaved to the devil, to be worldly. And he saved us. And how has he done that? Verse 4 to 7 shows us God is rich in mercy. He doesn't just have a bit of mercy. He doesn't run out of mercy. No, he's rich in mercy. And this, these verses show us that this is the salvation. The salvation on offer is a gift. It is a gift. And when we live life like it's a gift, rather than what we deserve, we can live a changed life. We don't long, no longer need to strive. It's a gift. You don't deserve it. But not only that, what does he do for us once we're saved? We're seated and raised and made alive. He's raised us up from the dead. And we, <clears throat> we must never play down how dead we were outside of Christ. It robs our salvation of its power. Yes. Doesn't matter what background you're from. You might have had wonderful Christian parents. You were dead until you gave your life to Jesus. deciding as well whether what we choose this we might take another path but Paul is saying you're in the graveyard and you are six feet under and God is walking around the graveyard like a bit like Aslan in Narnia remember the stone statues and Aslan's breathing on the stone statues and bringing life upon what was dead that's what God is doing he's walking around the graveyard bringing life to what was dead It's Ezekiel 37, valley of dry bones. God steps in and breathes life into the bones and they rise up and become a great army. This land of corpses has been made alive. 
The breath of the king brings life. And we have been, verse 6, seated with him. Where is Jesus seated? At the right hand of the Father. This would have made sense to ancient people because when conquering heroes returned from the battlefield, they had achieved hero status back home. When they returned home, they were given the place of honour to the right-hand side of the throne. Because they had conquered, you had the place of honour. And after all Jesus was accomplished, he was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven and sitting next to the Father. And we're sitting there with him. And this is past tense. When you believe in Christ Jesus, you are legally seated there. Your sins are so covered, you are treated as if you had done everything Jesus had done. How, how can this be? How can it be? Because of his kindness towards us. Sin is putting ourselves where God is meant to be. But salvation is God putting himself where we deserve to be. Jesus took the seat that we deserve, the cross and the wrath of God. And Paul is recognising you've already been seated in heavenly places with Christ. Spiritually, you are already there, even though physically you might not be yet. And we haven't just gone from death to life, we've gone from death to life to heavenly places. Hallelujah. That's a good thing. That's worth getting excited about. We're saved by grace. Saved by grace. This is not of our own work or your own doing, but by grace through faith. Not as a result of your own doing, so that no one can boast. You're a sinner saved by grace. And a sinner saved by grace doesn't need to battle for their rights, for being recognised or mentioned. A sinner saved by grace isn't always trying to please and work for their salvation. A sinner saved by grace can forgive. A sinner saved by grace can be content and isn't resting at night because someone snubbed you or is upset with you. A sinner saved by grace isn't upset because they didn't get what they deserve. You're saved so that no one will boast except in his cross and his victory. And the way out of our self-centeredness is to look upon the Son who saved you through the least self-centered thing that has ever happened. And though he was equal to the Father, he emptied himself of his glory and took the place of a servant. He said, my life for yours. And when we know that, we know that we're seated, seated and saved for good works, to serve the King. Not just come to church and join a brother, but be part of his glorious church, reaching out, being part of his body, part of the rescue plan for the whole earth. The church is God's plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. But we are not and never will be saved by our good works of service, but by Christ's good work of service on the cross. He saved us for good works, as it says, that he has prepared. And when we've been recreated, 
by God's Spirit through the Gospel, it's for reason and purpose. The reason is God's grace expressed in Christ's life unto death for us. And knowing this is hugely important, being saved by grace liberates you from the pride of trying to save yourself and the absolute terror of realising that you can't. Also, knowing that being saved for good works he has prepared in advance liberates us from laziness and disengagement from the needs of the world. Or from ever feeling useless or insignificant because he has a plan for you and good works that he's prepared for you that never cease this side of the grave. We reign with Christ. We are royalty. Grace pardons. It's multidimensional. It transforms for purpose to give out grace for others. How are you doing with that? How much grace do you show to those around you? Or do you want to, you know, get your own back? Do you hold a grudge? Or do you show the grace of God that has transformed you? Do you find it difficult to forgive? Or do you let the grace of God transform you to forgive like he has given? As such... Amazing grace means because of the cross, we get his royal robes. He gets our filthy rags. And so that in the coming ages, I read this in the New Living Translation version this week, which sometimes I like to read at home. But it says, he has, uh, this is from the Ephesians verse today. He, he raised us from the dead along with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. So God can point to us in future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. For all eternity, God is going to be pointing at Gabriella and saying, look, look at this, look at this immeasurable grace and kindness. Look at this trophy of grace. He's going to be pointing at Jackie saying, look at my trophy of grace. Look at my immeasurable kindness that I've shown towards her. That is incredible. In all future ages, as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. And you can come to him and know him and be saved through him, through this grace gift that you did not deserve. And you don't have to do anything. God didn't say to me, Ian, stop punching people on Saturday nights, stop doing this, and then you can come into my kingdom. You'll be pleased to know, as a result of me coming into my, <laughs> the kingdom, that has stopped. <laughs> uh, several weeks ago that happened. <laughs> he doesn't wait. Does the church have a future? You bet it does. It's the one thing that will remain. The world is worried about different events climate control, world wars. We know how it ends. We're saved for purpose. As that old saying goes, there's nothing you can do for him to love you more or nothing you can do for him to love you less because it's, it's a gift. It's a gift and you can receive it this morning. Just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. 
like Sharon said, make the choice. And when you make the choice, you say, God, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you. I take what you did on the cross for my sin that has separated me from you. And Lord, will you put what you did on the cross to my account? And I'm sorry for my sin. And I repent. And I turn from my old life. And I now choose to follow you by the help of your Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. That's all you need to do. And then by his grace, he works in you. He transforms us to the image of his son. And if you've really met with God, been filled with the spirit, you know that in verse 10, you're created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand. And we're going to remember this. We're going to remember what he did with this physical meal that we're about to take. It's a physical reminder of what he has done as we take the bread and wine. And as we do that, can I encourage you just to remember you were far from him. You needed to repent. You were dead. But by his grace, this gift, this free gift, freely bestowed upon you, you can know God. Doesn't matter where you are, I'm talking to every single person in this room, you can know God. You can be in a relationship with him. Allow this grace to change you. Give yourself fully to Jesus. And I remember, talking about my wife earlier, on the day of our marriage, I said, because I kind of made a decision to follow Jesus, but I still had a foot in both camps, really. I said, I will fully commit myself to you. I will fully commit my life to you. And it was the best decision I'd ever made. 